Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. This podcast is part of the Darkness Collective. Visit darkness.org to discover more shows like this one. The Darkness Awaits. You're listening to the Wicked Library. <laughs> flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you could save at PenFed.org slash auto refi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why didn't you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just two bucks on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Warning. If you haven't figured out that the Wicked Library has strong themes of an adult, sometimes violent and decidedly scary nature, then by all means, keep listening. Go on, it's just that you're not going to complain about it. Oh, you can try, but you'll be scoffed at and ridiculed mercilessly by the host, the narrators, the producers, and you could bet your dangling participle me. Go ahead, try it. You're not going to like it one little bit, but our millions of listeners will eat it up. <laughs> and that's not hyperbole, kiddies. So there's your warning. Enjoy the show, kiddies. <laughs> Welcome to episode number 803 of the Wicked Library, our Extra Wicked Winter Anthology. As always, before we get started today, a big thank you to our Patreon supporters. This episode would not exist without them. If you enjoy this show and want to help us keep making it, you should support us on Patreon. Not only do all of our patrons get a completely ad-free show, they also get the highest quality version of the show at 320 kilobits per second, access to our archives with the first five seasons, official bookmarks, and, depending upon the level of support, you'll get to hear our bonus stories before the free listeners. And, at the $10 a month and above level, you'll get to hear our brand new show, available only to our supporters, The Private Collector. The first episode of that show is included here today as our first story. And, let me tell you, it gets even darker and more twisted as we get into episode two and beyond. So if you enjoy the story today and you want to keep hearing the stories as they come out, sign up today at patreon.com forward slash wicked library to become a friend of the wicked library and a friend of the librarian. We're working very hard this season to make the show sustainable for season nine and beyond, and we need your help to do that. 
Also, a big thank you to those who took the time to rate us five stars and write a short review on iTunes. Your ratings help others find the show. And honestly, we love hearing how and why you listen to the wicked tales we share. Thanks so much for listening to the show. And hey, please, if you enjoy the stories you hear, visit our website at thewickedlibrary.com. Take a look at the show notes, click on the links for the authors, and buy more of their work. It keeps them making more. Now, we've got plenty of stories today, so let's go ahead and get started with the show. The first thing you're going to hear is Season 1, Episode 1 of our new show, The Private Collector, the episode entitled The Library on the Other Side of Town. This story was written by Aaron Vleck and is told by yours truly, Nelson W. Piles and Addison Peacock. Have a seat, but don't relax. I am your librarian, and this time there's plenty to be afraid of. Hold on to yourselves before something else grabs hold of you. Don't worry about the lights. It's darker than ever now. Start screaming. Something extra wicked this way comes. <laughs> Private Collector Season 1 Episode 1 The Library on the Other Side of Town By Aaron Vleck Cartwright and Enfield Detective Agency had shuttered its doors under what they call mysterious circumstances. After 25 years of dedicated service to New York City, we was kaput. What happened to my old buddy Doug Cartwright after the big set two of late 45? Well, that was the mysterious part. The part that left me doing hard time on the funny farm at Bellevue and looking forward to getting paroled to warm milk and making every night an early one. Doug had come to me one day all jazzed up, saying we'd finally landed the big one, our ship was on the horizon, and Soon, we'd be spending big time at all the swanky joints on Madison Avenue. See, he got us mixed up with that weird shit. The stuff that goes bump in the night and always comes back to bite you on the ass. The other side of town, that's what I call it. Run by the boys in the back room. The last I saw of Doug, he was heading back to our office just shy of midnight to grab some old book that our client, a guy I'd never even met, had left for us along with instructions on 
where to meet him to conclude our business. Doug was spooked that night. Real spooked. Like I'd never seen him. But he wouldn't say what was hopping. Just that I had to meet him at the diner on 34th and Lex and would go from there to meet the client. Doug never turned up. So I headed back to the office. What was left of it anyway. The place had been ransacked. That is, before it was torched and then doused with God knows what. What sent me off my nut was what I'd found on the floor, whimpering, half dead, and flailing around like a stuck pig. It sure wasn't Doug. But with all those extra parts squirming around in the muck on the floor, I didn't want to know what it looked like when it was still bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I'd pulled my 38 and was about to dispatch the thing to whatever hell was reserved for that kind of high weirdness when the ceiling peeled back like a can of sardines and a star-shaped thing reached in and grabbed for me with its claws. I took a crack on the back of the head and woke up in Bellevue two months later. Two months after that, I got my memory back. I settled up with the landlord about the condition of the office and grappled with the fact that my partner was gone and probably wasn't coming back from whatever piss-poor grave or netherworld hellhole had swallowed him up. I shuddered to think that what had been on the floor of the office might have been our client. And that star thing, who the fuck knows? New York was dead to me. So when I got a strange letter from my mother a woman I hadn't spoken to in five years, asking me to go upstate and look after her stepdad, a man named Leviathan Roman I'd never even met. I wanted no part of it. But she'd said he had a big house, lots of money, and was basically a vegetable in a wheelchair. And I guess that changed my tune. A little extended R&R on somebody else's dime might just get me back on my feet. I headed upstate the beginning of summer and spent the first six weeks nosing around and scoping out the old boy. What was left of him? As Mom had said, he was a man in a wheelchair with nobody home inside an emaciated frame that looked like Methuselah. We hadn't shared so much as a word besides my meet and greet each morning when I left him his breakfast that was always eaten by the time I came back to clear it away. The house was one of those rambling old monsters, but Leviathan kept all the doors locked, except the kitchen, two of the bedrooms, and a couple of sitting rooms. The place creaked at night, too. That's what I told myself all the racket was, and gave me the whim-whams as I lay there staring into the darkness. Not exactly the lap of luxury I had envisioned, Word got out somehow that I'd been a gumshoe in the big city, and two months in, I was contacted by the local constabulary to help them with a missing person case. I was beginning to go stir-crazy anyway, so I welcomed the opportunity to do a little reconnoitering. The missing person turned out to be another old geezer living on his own, a volunteer at the local library, who nobody there much liked. I stopped by the Phineas T. Crowley Library, 
a sad little one-story affair that still managed to hold its head up with two columns and a couple of crumbling lion's heads out front. I thumbed through a few magazines, then headed for the checkout desk, where a big woman in a bad wig and way too much makeup stared me down like I was a known felon on questionable parole. Ma'am, I said in a whisper, acknowledging the long, painted fingernail that stabbed unforgivingly at the quiet sign. I'm wondering if I could talk to you about uh, Mr. Vernon Fish. I believe he was a volunteer here. Talk to the librarian about that. Okay. Where do I find this librarian? I asked, seeing clearly she was one of those people who expected you to make up for every raw deal life's ever handed them. During the day, she said, glancing around and whispering like she was going to reveal some deep, dark secret. The librarian is in the basement he doesn't want to be disturbed by anyone. Well, thank you, ma'am. I'll come back some other time. Where can I find the men's room? You can get past just about anybody by asking them the way to the men's room, which was, fortunately, just a few steps from the stairway leading to the basement. The old spiral wooden stairs were narrow and creaked with my every step. At one point, there was a sharp turn, and as I grabbed the railing and descended deeper into the growing darkness, it came loose in my hand, and I went flying. Sometime later, I came to with a nasty bump on the back of my head. I was lying on a dusty old velvet sofa, the relic of some bygone era. I couldn't see much for the gloom, but the sound of somebody shuffling around just out of sight made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. I could hear him mumbling, but I couldn't see anybody. I tried to sit up, but I was as good as paralyzed. And a minute or two later, I saw this huge shape coming towards me. So, I hear you're asking around about old Vern. (laughs) The voice asked, chuckling to himself. You're the librarian. I said sharply, trying to regain command of the situation. Why, yes, I am the librarian. But who might you be? I don't normally tolerate intruders when I'm doing my research. But since you're inquiring after Vern, I figured I'd make an exception. Now out with it. Who are you, and what are you poking around here for? Name's Frank Enfield. I was asked by the local gendarme to look into a missing person. Your man, Vernon Fish. I'm staying here in town with a relative of my ma's. Very well, then. Very good. I already knew all that, but I was curious to see if you'd try and lie about it. He said, glaring at me with eyes that bored through me like a pair of hot brands. Oh, sorry about that. You can sit up now. He said with a wave of his hand. I just had to make sure you didn't pose any kind of threat. (laughs) He roared like he was enjoying some private joke. I sat up, taking in the sight of the place. It was lit by two dim gaslights and a few candles. Every wall was lined with shelves stuffed with books, and boxes of what looked like maps filled every corner. So, what can you tell me about this guy Fish? I said, taking out my notepad. The librarian lounged in a huge, overstuffed chair, like he was the king of Siam himself. 
but he ignored my question. The damnedest thing, though, I couldn't quite make him out. He was just this big, dark man shape that sort of moved around like he was underwater and stared at me. Vernon Fish, he finally said. Yes, Vernon's been a bit of a nuisance if you ask me. Not sorry to see him go. He was a thief. I don't abide thieves. We loan books out to everybody. No need for thieving unless you're after a book in the archive. My private collection that's not open to the public. I keep that here in my office, behind lock and key. He explained, gesturing around the room with his arm. No, I'm not sorry to see old Vern disappear. (laughs) The man roared again, and I knew I'd get no more out of him on the subject, but that he knew exactly what had befallen the missing man. I'm sorry I can't be of more help to you right now, the librarian said, pointing toward the door. Perhaps you could come by another time and we can talk. You're living up at the Roman place with old Leviathan. He added more as a statement of fact than any question. Yeah, sure, but how'd you know? My boy, he said, shaking his head. This is a very small town and I am the librarian. I know everything that goes on here. Everything. Now, you be careful of old Leviathan, you hear? He's a friend of Vern's, and what those two old boys get up to isn't fit for the decent folks. You take care to lock your door at night. That old man? Well, you just take care and come see me in the next day or so. You, by any chance, looking for work? The next thing I knew, I was in bed back at the crumbling old mansion. I had no recollection of how I'd got there or if that whole library thing was a dream or what. Couldn't have been, though. My backside was still sore from the fall. I dozed off and dreamed about Doug Cartwright. He was somewhere, but I couldn't see him. He was yelling my name, telling me to watch out. Then he was screaming like he was being flayed alive. I jumped up in a cold sweat my breath coming hard and the echo of his words still ringing in my ears. I felt eyes on me from all over and glanced sharply at the door. There was somebody staring at me from the doorway. It was Leviathan. He turned slowly and lumbered away. By the time I was out of bed and down the hall, he was in his own bed, snoring. I went back to my room and locked the door but there was no more sleep that night. Was I going off my nut again, like back in Bellevue? Or was there really something going on here? The next morning, when I took Leviathan's breakfast into him, he was sitting up staring at me. I almost dropped the tray when those wrinkled old lips parted, and I heard him speak for the first time. What were you doing up to the librarian's place yesterday, boy? He barked. You're talking, I yelped, and set the tray down, then dropped into a chair. I talk when I want to, see? If it's any of your business, and it ain't. The rest of the time, I watch. I see things. I go places in my head. (laughs) 
I know people like you never seen before. You know what I'm talking about. I can see it on you. I can smell it. He crowed with a weird grin. And I knew I was knee deep back in that weird shit. I think you best get on now, he growled. Pack up and clear out on up to the hotel. I got guests coming, and I don't want you nosing around about Vernon Fish or anybody else. And I don't want you talking to that librarian fella. I was damn near tongue-tied. Usually, I got quite the mouth on me, and I've been called a wise-ass a time or two. But there's this thing when the weird shit comes over me, or even if it's just floating around the room, I get all froze up inside, like a deer caught in the headlights of some looming cosmic doom that makes you feel real, real small. Not just you, but all the humans that ever was or ever will be, like a kid seeing something he shouldn't be seeing for the first time. So I did the only thing I could do. I'll, I'll do that, sir. Yes, sir. Sorry to bother. I stammered like a chump. I'll pack up like you say and be gone. You call up there, though. You need anything, all right? I said as an afterthought and regretted it. Just get, Leviathan grumbled. But I was already getting gone, and five minutes later, I was out the door and headed for the hotel, determined to call on the librarian knowing I'd only be doing a swan dive from the frying pan into the bonfire. I made my way up the hill to the only hotel in town, the Algonquin. Another run-down joint that was pleasant enough inside, with clean rooms and good coffee always on in the lobby. When I checked in, the balding man in a shiny brown suit handed me keys and an envelope. My confused look drew a nod at the crisp gray missive. It was delivered a while ago, sir. The boys said you'd be checking in sometime today. It's from the library. See? That's their address, right there, he said, pointing out the obvious. Thanks, I said, tossing a quarter in his jar and heading up to 3F. Inside, I tossed my suitcase on the bed and sat down, staring at the envelope in my hands. Spidey. That voice that keeps me out of harm's way was screaming in my head, telling me to get my butt back to New York City ASAP. Bellevue if I had to. Any place but here. But no. That's just not the way old Frank Enfield makes his play. So I tore open the envelope and read the following words. Good afternoon. I thought you might be checking into the hotel today and wanted to re-extend my invitation to come see me at the library. Tonight, after closing, might be the perfect time. In fact, I'm afraid I must insist quite strongly that you come tonight. It won't be safe for you, out there alone and unprotected and not knowing certain things. I do hope you're looking for work. I have something that could interest you a great deal and utilize your... Unique talents. Yes, yes, don't be tedious. I told you I know everything that goes on in this town, and that includes everyone who resides within it. Just be a good lad and come around without any fuss. Shall we say, 8 p.m.? 
your library. I stared at that paper like it was a summons to high command. But I'd be goddamned go to hell if I was waiting for 8 p.m. I marched right down to that library, determined to get this show on the road. Whatever it was. It was pretty obvious the librarian, weird as he was, knew all about Vernon Fish. And my supposed step-granddaddy, not enough times removed, Leviathan Roman. And now, I was expecting guests up at the big house. I walked in the front door and was greeted by the prettiest young thing I'd seen since before Bellevue. So I figured I'd try a different tack. Good morning, ma'am, I said, removing my fedora and circling the rim in my hands. She smiled and mouthed the charming little, how can I help you, with a tilt of her head. I was wondering if I could see the librarian, if he's not too busy. Well, it just so happens you're talking to her. I mean the fella, the guy in the basement. He around? I asked, getting a twinge. Basement? We don't have any basement. And I'm the only librarian since they opened up the new branch in Albany. I have to rely on volunteers to get anything done around here. But we have a very good collection, and I'm sure... I thanked her, and wandered off in search of the men's room. Fortunately, it was still there. But gone was the old winding staircase. I scoured the place. But there was no stairs. There was no basement. And I almost staggered out of there and hightailed it back up to the hotel in a daze. There, I found the librarian's letter, right where I'd left it. I grabbed it in my sweaty palms. It was real. This whole gig was all real. But something was also very, very wrong. I stretched out on top of the bed and tried to sleep. A few minutes later, I heard Doug's voice again screaming, telling me to watch out, warning me over and over. Thing was, I was wide awake and staring at the ceiling. I put my hands over my ears, but he just wouldn't shut up. Doug, where are you? I yelled at the top of my lungs. What's going on? Doug's voice disappeared and the guy in the next room started yelling for me to knock off the racket. I got up and splashed my face with cold water, then set out into the late autumn afternoon. Walking past the library, I saw they closed at 7 p.m., so I grabbed a bite to eat and downed a couple of highballs to bolster my backside. At 10 of 7, I snuck back into the library and hid among the darkened academic stacks. Soon enough, I heard the woman I'd met earlier telling everybody to clear out as it was closing time. Then, the front door slammed, the lock clicked, and I made for the men's room. Lo and behold, there was the old wooden staircase winding down into the bowels of a basement that, swear on my mother's future grave, was not there just a few hours earlier. Careful to avoid that loose railing, I tiptoed down, and at the bottom of the stairs, I came face to face 
with a massive set of carved wooden doors, with no doorknob, lock, or any visible means of entry. There was, however, an ornate door knocker that I lifted and banged three times, demanding entrance. The door immediately swung open, and the librarian stood towering over me. Well, aren't you the early bird? Do come in since you're here, he said, closing the door. I'm just going out on some rather urgent business, but I'll return in one hour. Wait for me here. Do not leave this room under any circumstances. Then he was gone. Just gone. I looked around the room, but he was nowhere. So I collapsed on the sofa and tried to get my wits together. That's when the thunder and lightning started in. The day had been sunny. Now it sounded like we were in the middle of a hurricane. I walked over and picked up a book. Then I heard the voices again. Doug yelling for me to save myself, get out of town before it was too late. All that kind of crap. I heard Leviathan's voice purring in my ear, saying he was sorry and he wanted me to come back to the mansion. I could stay as long as I wanted. That I should come tonight, now, right away. Then I heard Doug sobbing like a baby, and the old man laughing. After that, nothing. Like when you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Minutes later, an explosion rocked the world, and even knocked me off the sofa, while a dozen voices started screaming in my head. Agony, pain, curses, and worse. I heard Doug again, and Leviathan wailing like Jacob Marley in chains. And then, another voice Spidey told me was Vernon Fish, speaking in tongues and gibbering like an idiot. I curled up and laid there, shivering like a scared pup, waiting, listening. But the librarian didn't come back. Somehow, I pulled through the onslaught, and later fell asleep, or passed out more like it, and dreamed of books, ancient books, books leather-bound and out of legend, books with voices all of their own, talking in my head like they were men and women, each telling me their own story and begging me for help, pleading voices, crying, promising things I'd never dared wish for. I fell asleep after that, and all the voices drifted away, one by one. When I woke up, it was 8 a.m., and there was still no sign of the librarian. I rubbed my eyes and looked around. The door was open, and a shower of golden dust filled the beams of light falling from above. I stood up and looked for my jacket. On top of it was an old volume of handwritten notes with a letter sticking out of it. Figuring it was for me, I opened it and read the following. I decided to let you sleep. You really shouldn't have come so early last night against my expressed instructions. But it's just as well you did as the evening's festivities were a bit more 
rambunctious than I had anticipated. The book in your hand was rescued from the clutches of Leviathan Roman, where it was being tortured and had almost lost its will to live. That's right. Its will to live. Leviathan and his companions, including the nefarious Vernon Fish, had stolen this precious tome from my safekeeping, and I endeavored at great pains to rescue it. You see, the world is full of books that are as alive as anyone walking on two feet. In the wrong hands, well, let's just say we don't want them falling into the wrong hands. That is to say, any hands but mine. As I don't often leave the library, and it's a great effort when I do, and best avoided whenever possible, I need the assistance of someone like you. Someone with a knack for strange things who can keep his wits about him. Do you think it was a coincidence that you came here, Mr. Enfield? Was it old Leviathan who drew you here? Was it me? Or was it you yourself who was drawn to this place? This library? Like a hungry moth to a burning flame? Does it really matter? Leave now before the library opens for the affairs of the day, but be back here tonight at 8 p.m. sharp. Not a moment before or not a moment after. And we shall begin. Your library. P.S. You might want to wander past Leviathan's house on your daily constitutional. You might find the progression of things interesting. I did just that, of course and found that Leviathan's place had been destroyed. It looked like a tornado had chewed it up and spit it out, then torched the rubble. It kind of reminded me of my old office. I shivered in my heavy topcoat with the whim-whams, the touch of the weird shit on my spine. I did wonder, though, about my old partner Doug. What did he have to do with all this? I noticed something catch the light in the morning sun, and my hackles shivered again. Tiptoeing through the muck, I picked up an object and stared at it. It was an old U.S. Army WW-1 dog tag. The name on it was Montana Z. Phillips III. I squeezed it hard and put it in my pocket. Montana Z. Phillips III was Doug's granddaddy and that dog tag had never left my buddy's pocket since Montana Z died when Doug was just a kid. That night, at 8 p.m. sharp, I was standing in front of the librarian's door, just as he'd instructed, waiting to jump into what I knew was already well underway. I figured whatever work he had for me was bred in my blood and bones, and there was no way to face it other than full on for Sunday and both feet in to the knees. What happened next would be a far cry from Bellevue and sure as shit certain to be a whole lot more interesting. Well, kiddies, now it's time for another quick tale. 
This one deals with a powerful hunger burning deep inside. A hunger so intense and so overpowering that when unstopped, it can transform a man into a beast. Let's find out what happens when Henry spends all his time in the basement, working on his inventions, and ignores the hunger deep inside. Henry, are you down there? Henry? Hunger. So hungry. Let me out. Oh, no. Not again, Henry. Why don't you just let me sign us up for HelloFresh? You could be making dinner yourself every night and not letting it come to this. You turn into this monster every time you're hungry. Dinner hard. No time to cook. Must do science. Now, let me out. Henry, I've told you before, all the ingredients come pre-measured in handy labeled meal kits, so you know which ingredients go with which recipe. It's not hard at all. And you won't even have to spend all night in the kitchen, because recipes only take around 30 minutes. Oh. Too expensive. I spend money on science. That's just ridiculous, Henry. With HelloFresh, it's easy to cook delicious balanced dinners for less than $10 a meal. And if you do want to splurge a little on one of our special nights, there's even a premium selection for a dinnertime upgrade, like lobster ravioli and shrimp with tomatoes and tarragon cream sauce. Nice. Don't always want to eat the same thing, like new foods. Now, Henry, that's the best reason of all to order from HelloFresh. Not only do they have three meal plans to choose from, classic veggie and family, but they have a huge menu, so you'll get to taste and try new things. You can go right to HelloFresh.com slash menus anytime to see what's coming up. Too late. Hungry now! Let me out! You know I can't let you out when you're like this, Henry. But I have good news. I decided to sign us up already. Because they have a promotion where you get 30% off your first week if you use the promo code WICKEDLIBRARY30. Our first meal box came today. And I cooked dinner for us. Food? Food to eat? Yes, Henry. Here, I'll slip it under the door. It's pulled pork tacos with black bean salsa and cheddar cheese. You know I can't really cook, but this was so easy. It is good, isn't it? If you ask me, there's nothing more satisfying than cradling the tortilla in your hands and contemplating all the tasty toppings before leaning in for a big, juicy bite. Hey, that was really good. Can I come out now? Of course, Henry. Now that you're not hungry and angry anymore... If only our very hungry man had taken the time to visit HelloFresh at HelloFresh.com 
and entered our promo code of WICKEDLIBRARY30, all one word, he would have gotten 30% off his first week of HelloFresh and avoided having to hide in the basement. <laughs> it's a good thing Gabriel did it for him, or who knows what might have happened. Even if your kitchen and the thought of cooking has always been the stuff of nightmares for you, you can feel confident cooking HelloFresh with the simple recipes outlined on pictured step-by-step instruction cards. So easy, even a desiccated corpse living in a mystical haunted library can do it. <laughs> Ooh, tacos! Stop hiding from a future of easy, tasty, home-cooked meals delivered conveniently right to your door. Visit HelloFresh at HelloFresh.com and enter the promo code WICKEDLIBRARY30 or one word for 30% off your first week of HelloFresh. That's HelloFresh.com promo code WICKEDLIBRARY30 for 30% off your first week. Our next story is written by the original creator of the show, Nelson W. Piles, told by yours truly. Nelson's latest book, Spiders and the Daffodils, is available on Amazon now. As is, everything here is a nightmare, the collection that today's story comes from. November, 1946. My name is Alexei Pasanov. I'm an engineer major for the Red Army. I am recording this in English, as it seems likely that this letter may be discovered by an English-speaking explorer. There is also a short letter in Russian, in the off chance that there is a search party dispatched to retrieve me. If you are hearing this, I am already dead. Very sad to say, you might be soon as well. There isn't anything you can do about it now. Stop looking around you. There is no one else here. But be assured, you are being watched. I am recording this, knowing what is about to happen to me. And honestly... What may possibly happen to you? Hopefully, it will end with me. I am a Soviet officer. Excuse me. A Russian officer. I no longer wish to think of myself as Soviet. I am a man. But sadly, it is why I am marked to die. And possibly you as well. It's not going to happen to you right now. You have time, but not a lot of it. Neither do I, so pardon me if I skip some things. It was built by the Japanese. They blasted rock in this forsaken part of the world and built the lighthouse. For all intents and purposes, it was a good idea. A generous idea. As you have noticed, 
It isn't very easy to get here by boat. So many ships have wrecked that the lighthouse was a blessing. But that's not why they built it. They sensed the coming war. They knew what was coming. They've always known what was coming. And this was their response. This was their weapon. This was their revenge. After the war came and went, the Japanese were defeated in a violent and severe manner, as were the Germans and, of course, the Italians. The world was safe again. And, of course, Russia carried on. We reclaimed this area, and, of course, the lighthouse, which, at the time, seemed like a fantastic idea. It was part of a string of other lighthouses on a 50-mile stretch along the coastline. The commission came down to retrofit the lighthouse with small atomic reactors to function without a full-time keeper. This idea, too, was a good one. What kind of life could one expect manning a lighthouse for weeks, months on end? The end is soon for me. So, as a major engineer, I was sent to oversee the construction. It was quite simple, really. The lens of the lights would rest in a mercury pool for ease of rotation, while reactor would ensure the light would not extinguish. Marvelous plan, really. I was, at the time, proud to be a part of it. The crewmen and I had been here a single day when it all started. The first order of business was to relieve the lighthouse keeper. He was an older man named Yuri Denisov. Lifelong bachelor with minimal family. Ideal for the long stretches of solitude. There was a small boat poised to collect him and his meager belongings. Bring him back to the larger ship and transport him back to Russia. He was not here to greet us. My crew scoured the lighthouse to search for him. And in less than an hour, we had discovered what was left of him. At first glance, he appeared to be sleeping by the giant lens in the highest point of the tower, seated facing the ocean. As we moved closer, we saw that he had torn open his midsection with a small knife and tossed his entrails out the window. What was left was being eaten by the birds that were all over the area. The look on his face was one of resolve, almost relief. I assigned three men to take care of Mr. Denisov 
made the decision to bury him at sea. Certainly not an ideal circumstance. After that decidedly bad start, the crew made it possible to live in the lighthouse until the reactors were installed. The lamp was improved enough so that the lighthouse would function without occupancy. But the lighthouse had occupants and always will, I dare say. I will jump ahead for the sake of time. My time, specifically. It is running short at this point. In a record three weeks, the reactors were installed and the mercury poured for the new swiveling lens. There isn't a reason this lighthouse shouldn't run for years unattended. It was a spectacular show of workmanship, and I am proud of the men who completed the work. They... they should have fared better. The reactors were, of course, in the lowest level of the lighthouse, and, as the saying goes, out of sight, out of mind. This wasn't hard to achieve, because the problem started almost immediately upon completion. The crew had broken out vodka, wine, and bread to celebrate the completion of the reactors, and they had done a very good job of incapacitating themselves. The lighthouse was lit up and the men were being loud and reckless. And who could blame them? They did an amazing job, as I knew they would. We were set to leave in the morning to return home. So I allowed them to relax. The lighthouse is quiet, you see. Even with the reactors. The only sound is the ocean. It's calming and soothing, even when in a storm. So, when the scream came, it was more than just apparent. It was terrifying. The scream came from everywhere at once. Someone dropped a bottle and it shattered as shattered as the crew, who looked all around them. It was a scream of pure agony, and the men huddled together. No one said a word, even as the scream began to subside. The lights went dim, not out, but it was darker than it should have been. There was a gaping silence that was becoming louder than the scream. They looked at me as I was the officer in charge. I tried to remain as calm as possible until... until the scraping began. It sounded like someone raking a metal pipe against the curved wall in front of us. 
as we were. It was hard to move, but I was able to take one of the torches and scour the wall for the sound source. There was nothing but a symbol on the wall, one that had not been there previously. No one knew what that symbol meant. No one but me, of course. It was Japanese for death. I did not tell the crew this, as they were already in a panic. The sound of metal scraping once more began, but this time from the center, where the crew were now all clutched together. One of the men screamed, and the group separated quickly, making a circle. The men turned and looked as a young man howled with agony. He... He had a metal pipe impaling him from the top of his chest and onto the concrete floor. But it wasn't just a pipe. It was one of the rods from the reactors. The pipe began to move drawing another symbol on the floor, scraping and grinding. The young crewman shrieked. No one dared move or say a word beyond gasping. When the symbol was complete, the rod dropped with the young dying man onto the floor. Blood spilled onto the symbol, covering but I saw it. I knew it, too. This symbol was hate. Again, I said nothing about it, but instead urged the men to make haste to the outside of the lighthouse, <laughs> to which they agreed. And, of course, the door wouldn't open. Every light in the entire lighthouse snapped back onto full, and the men reacted. Open the door, they began to yell. Let us out! The scream returned, and the metal scraping sound began anew. The men and I turned to see the rod pulling itself out of the dead young man, and hover in the air. Then it straightened itself horizontally and flew at the nearest crewman. It skewered three of them and lifted them up, screaming. It flipped them over quickly, and they slid off, howling until they collided onto the wall on the opposite side of the room. It made a sickening sound, crumpled, broken dead and bleeding on the floor. The men shoved me aside. I was staring in disbelief and tried to break down the door. While they were panicking, the rod came back and repeated its previous actions twice more, 
with similar results. The men were so obsessed with the door, they hardly noticed that they were being picked apart by an unseen force bent on killing them all. The twenty men that had come to this forsaken lighthouse was now halved. And the culling continued. The rod claimed another too, but this time they were flung at the men trying to open the door. Three of them were struck dead upon impact, while the other three were knocked over, myself included. The rod suddenly dropped loudly onto the floor, and one of the last remaining men was lifted from the floor and slammed into the wall with crushing force. His limp, broken body was then manipulated up and down against the wall in random patterns. The two men left screamed in terror, but I, I did not. I watched the message being scraped in blood on the wall. It was a larger symbol at this time. The body was hurled to the ground with a sickening thud, and the door opened. The two remaining men bolted through the door, and I quickly followed them out. The two men ran outside toward the ship, but I went to the entrance to the basement level. The symbol was for Kokorison, or Ouija. That's when I understood there was a small chance I could do something about it. I ran down to the basement and opened the door. Everything worked fine and hummed perfectly. I looked at the floor. Really looked at the hard concrete floor. Hm. There weren't just cracks in them. There were symbols. Japanese symbols etched into the floor. I scoured the floor where I could and it was covering the entire floor. And now, under the reactors as well. The lighthouse was a giant conduit for malicious entities. A gateway to the other side. And it was not only open, but angry. Very angry. I backed slowly out of the basement and climbed the stairs. I walked toward the small makeshift dock where I assumed the two men had already left. And they had tried. The boat was there, but in broken pieces, as were both men. They appeared to have been torn into shreds and left in random strips on the rocks. The beards were already feasting. And so, here I am. You are hearing this. <laughs> and you're likely to die.
but perhaps my confession will save you. It's all that's left to do. That's what this is now. A confession. Although not personally involved, I am Russian. Not a Soviet. And due to my lineage, I am guilty of crimes against the Japanese Empire, dating back to the Russo-Japanese War of 1904. I am also guilty of similar crimes during that last great war for the atrocities against the late Empire of Japan. These crimes I am guilty of, I'm ashamed to say. I was a translator for the European forces as I endeavored to learn the language and culture in 1932 as a mere underling for the Red Army. My interceptions of transmissions led to the capture of forces in the Pacific, which led to horrible deaths in the gulags and prisons. I, I don't know if this will work to break this curse for whoever travels to this godforsaken place. The removed head of one of the young men decimated earlier has just been flung in through the open window of the lens room. Death beckons. May it be swift. Alexei Pesanov, Engineer Major, 19th November. 1946. Dear Mike, as per our discussion, enclosed you'll find the curious recording left by the late Alexei Bazanov, which appears to be authentic. Although there is no actual evidence at this point to verify the deaths of the men or the symbols that were claimed to have been written on the walls and floors. I've also included a copy of the letter he references in his recording. It's in Russian, but includes the Japanese symbols he claims to have seen carved into the walls and floors. What is fact is that the reactors no longer work. This lighthouse is structurally intact, and the possibility that it may be brought back into service is rather exciting. However, the idea that a vengeful Japanese spirit lurks in this lighthouse to exact revenge on those who have done the Empire wrong is just simply absurd. I will be at this installation until January. So wish me luck. Say hi to the good old U.S. of A. Let's hope the little spirits aren't too mad about Hiroshima. Yours, Martin. We do love our stories here at the Wicked Library. Nightmares are so much fun, aren't they? 
or is that only when they happen to someone else? Listen closely in this next tale and see if you recognize a certain voice. <laughs> Okay, everyone. Time to settle down. Let's take our seats so we can begin. As always, I'd like to welcome everyone to Monsters, Apparitions, and Demons Anonymous. The only support group chartered to help monsters and other dark creatures with their problems. I'm glad to see so many of you back again, and I'm happy to see a few new faces, too. Who'd like to go first tonight? Hello, kid. Uh, I mean, fellow agents of chaos, I'd like to share. Hey, what's the one? Didn't think I'd ever see him. Go ahead. Well, here's the thing. I'm having a really hard time giving some of our listeners nightmares now that they've been buying their mattresses from Casper. Casper products are so cleverly designed to mimic human curves that they provide supportive comfort for all kinds of bodies. We told our listeners to visit casper.com backslash wicked library and enter the promo code wicked library, which gives our listeners $50 towards select mattresses. And now people are sleeping so soundly it's becoming impossible to give them dark dreams. Yes, good point, Frank. Even if you normally feel like you're on fire, and trust me when I say I know how that feels. Casper's breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night. I agree. Nothing works like a Casper. Not dream catchers, piles of salt, or even special incantations. I find it impossible to invade the sleeping minds of the dream warriors who have upgraded to Casper. And the fact that Casper cuts out the middleman and sells directly to you makes getting one of their mattresses so reasonable. Everyone can afford to sleep through the night. Right. The Wave has a premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body. And the Essential has a streamlined design at the price that won't keep you up at night. Frank speaks the truth. How can we give anyone nightmares when everyone is getting $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash wicked library and entering the promo code wicked library? Yes, I fear it's something I'll lament for years to come. I can't even make the listeners afraid to place their orders since Casper has hassle-free returns if you're not completely satisfied. Too scary to think about. Okay, everyone. Calm down. Calm down. It's scary. But surely, we can come up with a solution. I'd like to say something. Go ahead, Santa. Well, I happen to know for a fact that Vlad... Frank, and even Jerry over there have bought mattresses from Casper. It's... It's two monsters. It's two... Well, you really should try one. After all, you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. I've given up my coffin, and now sleep like the dead. 
every night on my new Casper mattress. Well, when you put it that way, maybe I should get a Casper mattress for myself. Casper is so comfortable it gives your nightmares nightmares. Listeners should visit casper.com slash wicked library and use the promo code wicked library at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Monsters are not real, but then again, maybe they are. The only thing under your bed is the floor. Do not attempt to burn the librarian. Any nightmares that you may have as a result of listening to the show are our free gift to you. You're welcome. Our next story is written by returning author Lee Foreman, told by yours truly. A Slithering Offer by Lee A. Foreman My body and soul The feast on which it would satisfy its cold, unbiased nature It would make me a brittle husk in no less than six months I contemplated the Kevorkian way I could never garnish the result with enough good reason to commit suicide. Besides, I didn't want to die. I received the news only three weeks ago. Considering the good doctor's estimate, it was a significant portion of my remaining life, but not enough time to come to terms. Fantasies of futures never to come crushed repeatedly by the forceful hammer of reality. The dreamer could dream, but ultimately, his awakening was inevitable. I wondered how I'd face the Reaper alone. Would I possess the courage? Without Eileen's warm touch, without her kind words, I was devoid of human nourishment. My inner self was bad company. Our marriage had once been a vibrant green leaf on a tree, swaying gently in the breeze, taking in the sun's light. I played the parts of autumn and winter. The leaf fell, all color disappeared, and its surface became pockmarked with decay. I was left with a shameful legacy. A divorcee with five hundred bucks in the bank no offspring, no siblings, and my parents' ashes on a shelf in my closet. I'd be mourned only for the loss of tips I gave old Johnny at my preferred watering hole. I had to get out of my apartment, out of my head, just out. The quiet streets tamed the circling vultures of self-awareness. The city streets can be peaceful, if you know when to go for a walk. Summer nights, always the best. Hey, guy. The voice came from an alley. Shit, why did I stop? I should have fucking kept going. Listen here. The raspy voice spoke with a hiss. I can help you out. Sorry, man. Not looking to cop anything. Figured he was trying to sell me drugs. I'm not selling anything, you fool. I'm making an offer for trade. I 
can cure your cancer. I stepped back, took my hands out of my pockets. What? You don't have to die. I squinted, tried to see the man. The darkness hid him well. My heart told me to run, to hightail it out of there, make myself a ghost. But curiosity, no matter how many animals it killed, kept me standing at the mouth of that dark recess between the two buildings. Who are you? I asked. I like to make deals. And I have a lot to offer. You didn't answer my question. Do you want your cancer cured or not? The voice wrenched my guts with instinctual warning, but the hook had been set. (laughs) What did I have to lose? I was going to die anyway. Who the fuck wouldn't? But there is no cure for cancer. That's what they want you to think. (laughs) What are you, a conspiracy nut? Mock laughter emanated from the inky tunnel. It had the tone of a man, but what disturbed me was that it was trying to sound human. No, I really can stop your cancer. I know how. How then? I'm not just going to tell you. How do I know you'll keep your part of the bargain? The bargain. I didn't even think to ask what this mysterious voice wanted in return for the miracle it offered. What is it you want? I'm not rich or anything. I don't want money. My legs wanted to run, but the possibility of a cure enticed me to stay. What is it you want? A heavy breath wafted from the shadows. Musty. It reminded me of the damp cellar I'd claimed as my playroom in childhood. I just need a favor. How do I know you're not some nutcase? How did I know you had cancer, Marcus? And how do I know your name? Well, Christ, that's a good one. So... What's your answer? You want the cure? Or not? Now he sounded like a drug dealer. Fuck it. Got nothing to lose. You gonna come out of that alley or what? Because I'm not going in there. Don't worry about that, Marcus. All you have to do is say the word. And the contract is, how do you say, signed? I questioned the choice. I never believed in God, but it sounded like striking a deal with the devil. The thought of hell seemed much worse than dying of cancer. I was never a churchgoer, but I'd read a portrait of the artist as a young man. Another laugh echoed in the alley. No attempt to sound human was made. It came out coarse, like sandpaper against concrete. Your peers have misled you, 
the voice said. There is no heaven, no hell. Things are as they are. There is nothing more. Only things you don't know. What things? Never mind, boy. Just perform the task I require. And you shall have your cure. What do I have to do? There's a guy. I want you to deliver this package to him. A box wrapped in brown paper skidded from the shadows and stopped at my feet. A name and address were crudely scrawled on the top in black marker. You want me to deliver a package? That's it? This is bullshit. Oh, I promise you it's not. Oh, there is one more thing. There's another guy. He hangs out in front of the building you'll be delivering that to. Bump into him on your way in. What do you mean? I mean what I said. Just bump into him like it was an accident. I I don't get it. What for? I don't like him. (laughs) Whatever, man. Walking nine blocks to reach my destination didn't feel like a chore, more a respite from the horrors of my diagnosis. A brief lull from the routine of life and the sloping of oncoming oblivion, just beyond which lies a bottomless pit. With the hope of a cure, I had to avoid falling in. I came to the address, and there he was. The guy. He stood outside the door, leaning against the railing of the staircase, taking long drags from his cigarette. I watched him from the corner of my eye as I neared. He didn't pay me any heat. At the last step, I pretended to trip. My shoulder brushed against his arm. Sorry, man. Missed that last step there. He didn't say a word. Only took another puff and blew smoke in my face. As I opened the door and entered the filthy apartment building, something tugged at my memory. Synapses fired but shot blanks. Something irked me about bumping into the guy on the stairs. Something familiar. I went to the third floor, found the apartment, and knocked. The muffled voice answered, Package delivery. Footsteps came to the door and stopped. Self-conscious discomfort traveled along the back of my neck, knowing he could see me through the peephole. The lock clicked, and the door opened. The look on his face told me he wasn't expecting a delivery. What is it? He asked. How the hell should I know? I I just deliver him. 
He took the box, looked it over, and slammed the door. Mission complete. What came next? I was unsure. My throat tightened as I neared the exit, wondering if the smoking man was still outside. Be pretty fucking awkward running into him again. But he wasn't there. Relieved, I headed back to the alley where the stranger offered a cure. It was only during my walk back that I questioned the situation. What the hell was I doing? Was some fucking guy in an alley going to cure my cancer? When I thought about it, I, I couldn't understand why I went with it in the first place. What compelled me? Was it hope? Desperation? Either way, I was already into it. Might as well see it through. When I got to the alley, a hissing came from the darkness. So, I see you've completed your task. Yeah, bumped into that guy and everything. Who was he anyway? You'll find out soon enough. The slithering monstrosity reached out and wrapped its snake-like tentacles around my body. It drew me toward its gaping ebon maw filled with rows of fleshy suction cups. The orifice closed behind me as foul-smelling enzymes coated my body. As my flesh dissolved... Consciousness drifted from my mind. The creature assimilated my being. I became part of it, and it part of me. All of us, together, as one. And soon, I'd get to know the guy I bumped into very well. He would also develop terminal cancer. No doubt he'd take the deal, just as I had. Same as the man who had bumped into me. Wrapping up the show today, a story by returning author Caitlin Marceau, Conqueror, told by our good friend Jeanette Andromeda and her husband, Immortal Alexander. Conqueror by Caitlin Marceau. Go make me a sandwich, bitch! Yeah, go make me a fucking sandwich. Someone echoes, their voice loud in the headset and ringing in your ears. Oh, what a fucking noob! You snort, pausing momentarily mid-sentence to take a gulp of your neon green fizzy drink before talking into the expensive mic once more. Learn how to shoot or GTFO, comprende? You're met with laughter mixed with crackling of static from poor internet connections and background noise from the other players. I'm 
trying to, but I can't. What, hit the wide side of your mother? Trust! We know. The kids howl with glee, the exception being one undignified. Hey! And you smile at your cleverness, leaning back in your leather chair as you watch the final kill cam. Aw, there it is! Someone calls out, and you watch as your avatar, your gamer tag, Conqueror, glowing yellow over your souped-up futuristic soldier, jumps behind another player. Aw, shit, you're playing as one of the new characters they added. No wonder I didn't recognize you. Someone says over the channel. Fuck yeah, I am. This one handles pretty sweet, too. Might stick to using this melee one for a while. You watch as your soldier knifes them in the back, ending the match. A kid calls out, yelling over the sea of other voices. That's what I'm talking about. Way to fucking go, bruh. Obviously you're the last kill of the round. Figures. Aw, don't feel bad. You say with mock sympathy. Not everybody can be this good. Just feel honored I've graced you with my digital presence. Ugh, so humble. Dick. Whatever, dweebs. You say to the group. Dweebs? What are you, 40? One of your friends, Kmar94, jokes. The group laughs at your expense and you swallow hard in annoyance. Shut up, you shit shooter. Don't you know retro's in? Get with the fucking times. Conqueror, out. You say loudly before powering the console down. You take another swig of your drink, hating the overly sweet taste of it on your tongue, before pulling the headset off and getting out of your chair. The footrest springs back into place as you stand. You haphazardly brush crumbs from yourself with the back of your hand as you cross the room and put the controller and mic down on the shelf of the TV cabinet. You press the small button on the side of the massive screen, turning off the TV, and head to the kitchen to dump the remainder of the drink down the drain and chuck the can in the recycling. The floorboards of the old apartment squeak under your weight as you lazily shuffle into the kitchen. You groan to yourself as you notice the phone on the coffee table lit up with notifications, and with an even louder groan, you realize they're from your colleagues, and you can't help but scroll through a few of them. You were supposed to order more orange aprons for the store, reads one of the texts. I need you to come in early tomorrow. Marion called in sick, so I need you to work the full day, reads another. Fuck off, you mutter to yourself. Continuing into the other room, you lean against the counter as you pour the green liquid into the sink, trying not to pay attention to the hissing noise the carbonation makes as it hits the metal, or wonder what kind of lasting damage it'll do to the inside of your stomach if you keep drinking it. You don't even like it. You'd only bothered to pick up a can at the convenience store near your house so you can finally know what it tastes like and why the kids you talk to online like it so much. It turns out the drink is a confusing mix of too much sugar and extremely sour candy. You chuck the empty metal can into the small recycling bin besides your garbage can and cross the cramped room to your fridge. You pull open the handle, which is still slick with a bit of grease from your supper the other night and you take out the cardboard box of leftover chicken. You open the lid, your stomach rumbling, and groan in annoyance when you notice the food is past its prime, a few patches of white fuzz growing on the top. Waste not, want not. You mutter. You grab a fork and a knife from the nearby drawer and slice at the chicken. 
When you're convinced you've excised most of the mold, you throw the good meat in a bowl, place it in the microwave, and heat it up as you chuck the box and the remainder of its contents in the trash. Before the two minutes are up, you take the bowl out and start shoveling food in your mouth unceremoniously. It's pretty bland, especially without any gravy, and it's definitely not hot enough. But you know it could be worse, and you're calling it a win. As you chew your food, the kitchen silent but for the wet smacking of lips, you hear your phone start to vibrate from the other room. You ignore it, letting the call go to voicemail. But when it starts back up again, you cave and decide to answer it. You put the bowl down and move quickly into the living room. You check the caller ID and groan before answering. Hello? You mumble into the receiver. Jesus fucking Christ! I sent you like seven messages! The man on the other end shouts. You never put your phone down when you're at work, but you don't think to check it at home? Sorry, I was in the middle of- I don't care, he says flatly. I need you to come in early tomorrow and stay until closing. Come on, I have plans. You say, looking across the room at the console. Cancel them. But- You're on thin ice. You're never on time. You don't do what you're supposed to do. And God knows why you think you can routinely call in sick. So don't push me. I need you to come in early. I need you to replace Marion, and unless you can prove to me that you have an appointment, a dead relative, or something that's genuinely important to go to, then I expect to see you there tomorrow. Otherwise, I'll be forced to find a new cashier who can be. Got it? Yeah, yeah, I got it. Good. Your boss says, sounding tired. I'll see you in the morning. Don't be late. He hangs up the phone and you listen as the line goes dead. You hold the phone in your ear longer than you need, knowing that by now the phone app has closed and your ear is pressing against the home screen. Eventually, you lower the device and put it back on the table. You hate your job. You hate your boss. And the idea of spending a day surrounded by annoying customers and colleagues who think they're better than you is enough to make your throat tight and your chest hurt. You stare at the game system across from you, not wanting to go to bed angry. Decide you'll play and de-stress for a while before calling it a night. You turn the television back on. Press the start button on the remote. Slip the headset in place and flop down into your leather chair. You log into the game, picking your new favorite character from one of the menu screens, and join an online match already in progress, feeling a swell of relief as you're met with the sound of static and banter. Your gamer tag glows yellow in the top right corner of your screen, and you feel the tension melt as you slide back into your role as... Conqueror. When you play, you're a god to the kids you kill online. You can forget that you're a middle-aged cashier. You can forget the way your career went up in flames when you were spotted with a patient less than half your age. When you're plugged in, when you're Conqueror, 
You can forget how shitty real life is. For a little while, at least. Hey, dumbasses, miss me? You know something's not right even before you open your eyes. You can feel the uneasiness spread throughout you as you stare at the back of your eyelids, trying to pinpoint the source of your mounting anxiety. Opening your eyes, you move your head, trying to work the stiffness and kinks out of your neck. Your disorientation makes the room unfamiliar at first, and the second it clicks, you're filled with dread. You're still in the living room. You must have fallen asleep in your chair. You look around and see that your remote has fallen off your lap and onto the floor. Your headset resting beside it. The television and console are off, and it takes you a moment to piece things together. You were playing and got tired. And you wanted to keep going after a short break, but you must have nodded off instead. You rub the sleep out of your eyes with one hand as you get to your feet, grabbing your phone from the coffee table. You press the home button, and when the screen stays black, you hold the power button down. An empty battery symbol flashes across the screen, and you grumble to yourself as you go into the bedroom to plug the phone into the charger by your nightstand. You wait another minute before holding the power button down. Your phone, slowly coming to life. The screen lights up, and you want to scream when you realize it's 11.42 a.m. Almost five hours later than when you were asked to come to work and roughly 20 minutes from when you were originally supposed to start. Then comes a flood of missed texts, voicemails, and even an email from earlier in the morning. Thomas tells me you're still not in. Are you on the way? 6.57 a.m. Where are you? Are you almost here? 7.03 a.m. I told you not to be late. 7.48 a.m. Answer your phone. 9.03 a.m. Collect your things and drop off your apron by the end of the week. 10.28 a.m. You open your inbox and realize that the message is a dismissal email from the company. They sent you instructions on how to collect your possessions and leave your uniform, and a notice that your belongings will be thrown out if you don't come to collect them in a timely fashion. The message tells you that the date your insurance will end, your final pay, and the record of your employment will be mailed shortly. They thank you for your hard work and wish you the best with your future endeavors, but kindly remind you that they do not provide references. You're not sure whether to laugh or cry, whether to be outraged or grateful that you've finally been released from your boring, soulless job. On the one hand, you hated working there. The fact that everyone was so pleasant and couldn't seem to differentiate between being colleagues and being friends drove you mad. On the other hand, 
It was a job. Something you desperately need. And the Home Improvement Center had been the only place that was willing to hire you after the rumors about your firing scandal had circulated the community. You dial your voicemail, press play, and then delete the messages before listening to them. If the email and the million texts are any indication, the messages were probably left by one of the managers calling to give you shit and someone from Human Resources letting you know that they were firing you. You want to whip the phone across the room. Watch it hit a wall and smash into little pieces. You'd even settle for just crushing the screen. You're so angry. But instead, you power down the device and return it to its spot on the nightstand. You take the pillow from your bed, hold it over your face, and scream into it. You know it's obnoxious of you. Childish, even. But it helps relieve some of the anger threatening to push you over the edge. You get up from your spot on the edge of the bed and head into the kitchen. You put a pot of coffee on and lean against the counter as it brews. You debate sleeping the day away, but decide against it. There are more productive ways to use your rage. As the coffee brews... You head into the washroom to clean yourself up. You take a quick shower, towel yourself dry, and throw on an old t-shirt and a pair of baggy sweatpants. You head back into the kitchen and pour yourself a large cup of coffee, taking a sip while it's still flaming hot and enjoying the way it leaves a trail of heat down your throat and into your stomach. Now it's time to get down to business. You turn on the television and the console, grab the remote, and crawl back into the leather recliner. The familiarity of the seat, the squeeze of the headset, and the weight of the controller in your hands put you at ease. The day's been rough, and you need a pick-me-up. The light on the machine glows green, and your pulse quickens as it signs you back into the game. You scroll through the characters, excited to see they've added someone new to the roster. And you select them as the game loads and finds you a group to play with. You smile as it drops you into the middle of a battle, and you feel instantly better as you fire a clip into an oncoming opponent. No way! Someone calls through the headset. Oh shit, y'all. Conquerors joined us. Yup, yup. You say with excitement. You guys ready to watch a real pro play? We're all dead. Someone says in the mic. Ah, sweet. You're playing as the new gunner they added. You know it. You say, struggling to make your voice sound right. It's hard sounding like a teenage boy on a normal day. In the effort of it strains your throat. You'd rather sound like a teen than yourself, so you force yourself. You've seen how vicious the online community can be and you know what could happen if they decided to turn against you. You move your character forward, a thrill running through you as you start playing. You move your avatar across the map, dodging bullets and bombs as people are ripped into shreds beside you. You're never on during the day, Kmar95 says through the mic, cursing under his breath as you shoot him. So? 
So shouldn't you be at school or some shit? Shouldn't you? He snorts. Yeah, but I had my mom call me in sick before she left for work because I wasn't feeling well. You can practically hear the air quotation marks. Oh, savage. Why are you home? Eh, slept through my alarm. Idiot. You can't disagree with him. Maybe, but I'm an idiot that's going to kick your ass. You're an idiot that's going to try. The two of you play a few more rounds of the free-for-all mode, each of which you most definitely won, before opting to play a few team rounds. Sure, there's not as much glory when you win with another player, but this kid just gets you. He understands you, even if he maybe doesn't know everything about you, and it makes you happy. You swell with pride whenever you win a match, and you feel unstoppable. Hell, you are unstoppable. You're conqueror, after all. These indie developers are mental, man, he says to you. They keep adding new characters in the game and updating glitches and shit. You don't see the big guys doing stuff like this. They make you spend a fuck ton to get one, one shitty DLC character. And it's usually so glitchy. Right? You shout your agreement. These guys are so good. Probably because they know we're like a super dedicated community or whatever. Like, there's not a lot of us, but we're all fucking addicted to this shit. Any word when they're putting out a sequel? Nah, I don't think they're gonna bother. TBH, KMR94 says. You barely dodge a bomb. His words leaving you upset. You can feel your freshly cultivated good mood already fading. The calm draining away. What? Why wouldn't they? Well, because, like, I don't think people are playing it as much as you think they are. Like, I still love it, but I haven't seen X-Ray Shooters or Kev Me A Break on for the last few weeks. And, like, obviously their player pool is getting smaller. Why else would we have run into each other on here, you know? So, like... Maybe they're releasing new characters and trying to get people back. I don't know. Oh, that's fucking bullshit! This game is everything to you. The thought of people abandoning it, abandoning Conqueror, makes you furious. This is the best game of all time. End of discussion. For sure, brah. It's baller as fuck. Easily my favorite game. A red counter shows up on screen marking the approaching end of the game. You casually shoot at people, knowing you and your teammate are far enough ahead in this battle to take it easy. Definitely my favorite game. Like, none of the other first-person shooters have such animated characters. Like, if they get shot, they look hurt. If they kill someone, you can actually feel the emotion on their face. This game is the tits, man. I wish I could play it forever. The timer reaches zero. The game coming to an end. Oh, yeah? Hey, Mario 94 says through the mic. Fuck yeah, definitely. Another game? How about one-on-one? Oh, what, tired of winning? <laughs> we play a versus. Just the two of us. Winner gets whatever he wants. That sounds like a plan. I love winning new shit. You watch as he sets up the game. The timer starts counting back from ten. Getting ready to signal a new round you win you get to play forever if i win 
I get to play as Conqueror. You roll your eyes. Two seconds till go time. And smile. <laughs> sure, man, but fat chance of that happening. A green go flashes across the screen and your soldier takes off, sprinting to the nearest weapon catch and picking up your favorite shotgun and bowie knife before moving through the map. You don't need to check the map or deploy a heat-sinking drone to know where he's hiding. He's a predictable player. You've mentioned that to him more than once, and you're sure that, as usual, he's parked his ass behind one of the sand dunes on the edge of the map and is getting ready to snipe you. When you get close, you duck behind one of the dilapidated huts and throw a grenade at the dune, easily dodging the bullet you knew was coming. The grenade goes off, and you hear Kmar94 curse on the mic, his character dead. He respawns and you head to his new location, sure of his moves before even he makes them. Before he gets a chance to even pick up his rifle, you've shot him dead. The rest of the game plays out a lot like the first half, with him trying to run from your avatar and you lying in wait for him at weapon catches or on rooftops. As the timer turns red and counts down the last few seconds of the match, you can't help but brag. <laughs> That's what you get! You shout through the mic. That's the price you pay for messing with the Conqueror! Suck it, bro! The game ends, and you can't take your eyes off the screen as it replays your final kill of the game. You smile to yourself as your soldier runs off a roof, sailing over the other competitor, and shoots his brains out from above. You can almost see the moment the other soldier knows he's going to be shot. What almost looks like a glimmer of annoyance passing over his face. Oh, fuck yes! You shout again. Better luck next time, my man. No worries, he says calmly. So I'm thinking I want you to buy me this new skin I was eyeballing online, and maybe a new remote, because the battery doesn't last on this one. Hope your mom doesn't mind you borrowing her credit card. You laugh. I'm not buying you anything, he says sternly. I told you that if I won, I would get to play as you. But if you won, you'd get to play this game forever. It's pretty much a win-win, so... No, it's not. I'm not giving you my login, so stop being a sore loser. Now, should I fucking DM the web pages to you, or should- I don't need your logins to play as you. I told you, I'm not letting you play as Conqueror. Fat fucking chance. Stop being a creepin' pony up- Stop talking, he says, voice deeper and distorted. You open your mouth to tell him something's wrong with your mic, but the words don't come out. You try again, but still, you're silent. You try to reach for your throat, but you're frozen still. The TV flickers, and you watch as Kmar94's avatar fills the screen, smiling at you, and reaches a hand through the screen. If you could, you'd be shouting. But you can't. And so you stare as the soldier pulls his body through the frame of the flat screen as he materializes in your living room. 
his computer-generated form is replaced with a solid human body. Only the person standing in front of you looks nothing like a super soldier from the game. The tall mass of muscle is replaced with the short, wiry build of a preteen boy. He looks delicate, almost frail. And what used to be a close-cropped military cut is now a mess of greasy brown waves. He straightens up as he approaches you, and although his movements seem relaxed, his eyes are filled with panic. You're so much older than I was expecting. The boy, the thing, admits to you. His voice is deep and whispery, and it definitely doesn't belong to the body it's coming from. Or maybe you're exactly as old as I thought you'd be. And it was just the Amar 94 who's surprised by your age. I can't tell for sure. You try to force yourself to your feet. Try to fight whatever's keeping you fixed to your chair, but it's no use. That's not going to get you anywhere, he says. A deal's a deal, and you have to join all of your friends and keep playing from now until forever. Now I also get to play as you. Like I said, everyone wins. He reaches a hand towards you and the terror is so intense that you wonder if you'll throw up despite being unable to move. The boy grabs your throat and pulls you out of your seat, dragging you towards the television. You try to scream, try to fight, but you can only watch in horror as he reaches back into the television, the preteen body morphing back into a super soldier once more and pulls you in with him. Oh shit, they added a new character! Someone screams into their mic. Another one? You only just noticed? I'm not observant. It took me like a month to realize Kmar94's tag was deactivated. Eat me. And fuck yeah. I mean, the armor's a little flashy, but YOLO, right? The game timer flashes red, the match almost over. Oh, ugh. Yeah, that's like the brightest fucking blue they could have used for body armor. Like, ew, no. Control, alt, delete, please. I think it's pretty sweet, the fourth player says. Your body is made to run, feet slipping on the sand as you try to get to the weapon's catch in time but you see the grenade heading towards you and know with certainty that you won't make it. It lands at your feet and explodes, ripping holes through your body and flaying skin from bone. You scream. No. You try to scream. As everything fades to black, the game ends for the players and the final kill cam is displayed. Your body regenerates, forced to go through the motions once more, forced to be torn apart once more, until the game is done and the players return to the menu. You fade to black, and you could weep 
from the sudden reprieve, praying that you won't be made to play the next match. So anyone want to play one-on-one? A familiar voice asks the others. Yeah, sure. I'm a glutton for punishment after all. So what tag are you? Try to warn him. Try to scream. But, as ever, you remain dead silent. Conqueror. I'm Conqueror. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Wicked Library. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production, ninthstory.com. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. You can be a part of helping keep the shows coming for as little as $2 a month. All supporters get wicked fun rewards like bookmarks, access to our archives, bonus stories, and more. The more generous you are, the more wicked the rewards are. And, of course, those supporting the show at $10 a month and above will get access to our new show, The Private Collector, set in the world of the Wicked Library and exploring what the librarian does when he's not introducing the show. Complete credits and full show notes, including links and information from today's episode, can be found on thewickedlibrary.com. You can also find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes page. Until next time, go ahead, leave the lights on, It lets the librarian know you have something for his collection.